coach, broadcaster, and video game impresario, John Madden. I get every game from every angle uh, every week. Why do you want to do that? Just because uh, just you're crazy? <laughs> None other than Deion Sanders Prime. I have three to four suits with me, and I'm having a problem to choose between the cream, which is a cusser. What I mean by cusser, Rich, when you see me, you're going to use profanity. That's how clean this suit is. <laughs> My official movie reviewer, Jim Moore. She's a fox. If there's a fox in the movies right now, Myla Kunis is it. I don't download many podcasts, but when I do, I prefer the Rich Eisen podcast. Here's your host, Rich Eisen. A bonus podcast this week, everybody. A bonus podcast. America's Game is one of the best documentaries around, sports or otherwise. One-hour documentary on the reigning Super Bowl champs. Only three characters, three figures from that Super Bowl team are interviewed by NFL Films, and they do it straight to the camera in some sort of stroke of technology genius that the NFL uh, NFL Films Company came up with a couple years ago. Just superb. They do it up. And the folks who provide the voice for it, uh, the voiceover work, they've had Gene Hackman and Alec Baldwin, and they've had James Gandolfini and John Hamm, and Brad Pitt did the Saints America's Game last year. And now it's time for the Green Bay Packers 2010 Green Bay Packers America's Game with the three figures interviewed Mike McCarthy, the head coach, the Super Bowl MVP quarterback, Aaron Rodgers, and their Pro Bowl cornerback and former defensive player of the year, Charles Woodson. John Slattery of Madman fame, the great Roger Sterling of Madman fame, providing the voice. He does the voiceover. The three uh, guys who I just mentioned provide the storytelling, and NFL Films is as good as it gets. And it's become basically a rite of passage. Everybody who watches their team wins knows in the week before the season, the day before the kickoff of the season, hosted by their Super Bowl championship team on NFL Network, the debut of that team's America's Game. Chris Law, podcast producer, you took it next level, didn't you? What'd you do? What'd you do for this podcast? Because I didn't even think about this. You arranged this, didn't you? Got, yeah, we got we got Dave Douglas on. He uh, we had a little, a little help from uh, from Andrew Howard, and you know America's Game, like you said, it's it's next level stuff, especially if it's your team that won. But even if it's not, I learned a lot just watching it. Dave Douglas is the executive producer of this edition. Yes, of America's Game, thirty year films guy. Just he's been there and done that. It was his football. Yeah, seen a lot. He did the eighty five Bears one. Did the 2000 Ravens, Ravens. one. And now the 2010 Packers America's game. And it's just great how they weave the story and how they tell the story. It doesn't just start with week one of the season. Uh, but I'm going to stop prattling on. Let's get to the interview right now. For all those who haven't seen this documentary, go out and see it. Check your local listings because it's going to be re-aired over and over again on NFL Network. And if you have seen it, then sit back and enjoy this conversation. His name is Dave Douglas. He's a senior producer of NFL Films, and he's been at the job there in Mount Laurel, New Jersey, for 34 years. And he joins me now on the Rich Eisen podcast, fresh off a new America's game appearing on NFL Network. He um, 
uh, was a senior producer for the Packers 2011 America's Game. Thanks for coming on the program, Dave. Thank you, Rich. A pleasure. So, um, wow, where do I begin with you? 30-plus years. Let's start with that. Let's start with that. How, how have things changed for NFL Films in the last 30-plus wow. years for you? I went macro on you to start. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, that's a big picture. Well, you know, when I started, there were eight producers here, just eight, uh, which is good and bad. I guess the, the good news is there's only seven guys to try to jump over or <laughs> seven guys to compete against to make a name for yourself, and I think now we have close to 70. Mm. So that's uh, quite a, quite a you know, increase. Uh, and when I started, the commissioner was Pete Rozelle and, and Big Ed, was running the show yeah. hands on, and it was just a handshake agreement between Mr. Sable and, and the commissioner, and off we went. But as you know now, it's a massive corporation, a big company, uh, and it's changed a great deal. Some for the best, some for the worst, but I'd say uh, for the most part, it's changed for the better. We great relationship with you guys at the network, uh, a lot of good long-form shows that you can take your time with, and America's Game is one of those shows where it's not a race. It's not a dash. It's a nice journey. Yeah, and it's a perfect way to describe it. It is a journey because, uh, again, especially in this Packers 2010 show, you also did the Ravens 2000, America's Game, as well as the Bears 85. Uh, that That's one of my favorites because very rarely do you see an interview sh- subject smoking a stogie as he's uh, wanna, conducting interviews. Great... Did, get, did. Please, lay, me, uh, lay it on me. This, it's awesome. I mean, as you know, Mike's a bully. <laughs> and uh, likes to be, and it, but he's a gentle bear. He's in, in more ways than one. And so he comes in. We shot it at his restaurant, and the first two things he's assuming as he comes in are a, we won't be ready, and b, he's got to put that big cigar out. So he sits down and says, "Let's go, CB. I don't have all day. Let's roll them." And I said, "Well, we're ready to go, Coach." And he's taken aback. He goes, "Well, you're supposed to be, you know, floundering around." And but no, we were ready to go. And then he, said, he has this giant crystal ashtray, custom-made for this 12-inch stogie of his. And he goes, well, I guess you want me to put this out, too. And I went, Coach, I want you to enjoy that cigar and as many more as you have in your pocket and smoke away, and we're going to have a great time. <laughs> so he's, he's angry. And then I, the first question was, as you, get, you gave me the macro question, Yes. my first question for, for Coach was, uh, I'd like to start the 1985 season with the affair that you had that year. And I thought he was going to leap out of the chair and just choke me right there in his own restaurant. And he goes, what do you mean? And I said, well, you remember your home and the phone rings and a little Latino girl's at the other end of the phone line. And she goes, oh, Mr. Ditka, you are so handsome, man. I'd like to meet you down at the motel. Of course, it turns out to be a Walter Payton prank. Mm-hmm. And so he knows that we know what's going on. We're ready to go and he can enjoy a cigar. And, and he just opened up from there? Yeah, I think once you win him over and know that you can stand up to his initial onslaught mm-hmm. uh, and are prepared uh, and, and really appreciate the work that he did with that 85 Bears that season, and you know the Bears from that season, then, yeah, he's ready to go. And I think one of the reasons why that show works, of the many reasons why America's Game is so good, uh, is because they're telling their story directly to the lens. And you've seen that in so many other different uh, documentaries and different networks since. I'd never seen it before America's Game. What What is the technology behind that? Well, Errol Morris is a well-known documentary. Oh, Thin Blue Line, sure. Yes, and he was the first to use that technique. 
And uh, basically, it's this. Uh, it's very similar to the setup we have now, where we're each looking at a camera of each right. other. Uh -huh. <laughs> However, in this in this setup, it's uh, much more invasive. The camera's larger. There's a big picture of me, and, and as there is of you, underneath it, and it's pretty much right in your face. So, I am not even in this. Sometimes you're not even in the same room with the subject, or you're sequestered in a soundproof booth, like a game show type of thing. So they're forced to address the camera. There's nothing to uh, divert their eye. They must look directly at the camera and answer the questions. And at first, it's a little bit discomfitting. But after questions two or three, they say, okay, this is the setup. It's me and that blob of a face right there, and I'm going to have to really concentrate. And they do. And the thing is, each one takes two hours. It's really? Not like a, two, it's a oh, two-hour yeah. sit-down you have? It is. Uh, when we sat down with uh, Ray Lewis uh, for the 2000 Ravens, uh, he's an imposing figure. And, and when you pat him on the shoulder, as you probably have done, yes. it's, like a, it's like a ham. It's like a big Virginia ham. It's the biggest <laughs> chunk of muscle ever. And uh, you visualize his destruction on the field and know what he's capable of. And he's sitting like, uh, you know, just adjacent to you, looking at your face in that camera. And one of the subjects, if I just go off course for a Please. moment, uh, we weren't allowed to talk about or was, was asked not to was, you know, his, his issues the year before at the Super Bowl where he was incarcerated. And mm -hmm. we all know the, the long, long story. And, of course, that's many, many years ago. But how can you interview Ray Lewis about the 2000 Ravens without that subject coming up? So I had to ride a very thin line and, and win him over, talk to him for a good half hour about leadership, uh, Brian Billick, having Trent Dilfer take the, everything I could think of. And then he talked about leadership, and he got really passionate about leadership. And I said, well, I don't care how big and strong and fierce you are. No one will follow you if they don't believe in you. And the reason, one of the reasons that that team believed in you is for what you told them well before the season began um, about a vision that you had when you were incarcerated. And he says, ask me anything you want. Just ask me. And I did. And he said, I... I had a vision. God came to me and said, you're going to win the Super Bowl. And he goes, and I grew up just down the road from Tampa where that was played. And he goes, not only that, you're going to be the Super Bowl MVP. Well, if you can sit in front of 45 guys and tell them that in April or May, that kind of sets the, that, that team on a course. Well, this year, Mike McCarthy had an idea too, as you saw from the preview screen that you've seen. Fabulous. I mean, yeah. I mean, in 2009, or eight rather, they lose to the Giants. They're hosting the championship game. They lose. In 2009, they score 45 against the Cardinals. That's not enough. They lose. So he has to find something to get them over the hump. And, and when you see the show, you'll realize, what a great idea. What a unique idea to get this young Packer team on board. And it worked. And and again, no, what he did was he basically had a blank space on the wall where uh, they meet, and every other space available on the wall is of a championship Packer team photo. Yeah. And he just put an empty space on the wall yeah. and, and said, this, first, is, "This is what we're going for for your team photo to go in this empty space." Yeah, and Coach uh, Coach Mike McCarthy, when we went out to interview him in Green Bay, would not let us shoot that at first. He said, "You know what? I think all of our players." who accomplished that deed, should see that picture first. And I said, boy, I fully understand. I said, but you also have to understand that that's the beginning and end of our show here. It's, that's massively important. 
And uh, so we went and did Charles Woodson in Orlando, then returned to Green Bay to do Aaron. And then I reapproached the coach through the uh, Aaron Pocky and the guys at the Packers, and I said, just tell him this request is from one altar boy to another. You know, is there any chance he can let us go in that room for just 15 minutes? And he, he relented. He says, yeah, you guys can go in. And he also let us shoot the morning cup of coffee in Lambeau, which is, I mean, I sound like a 12-year-old here, but Lambeau Field is awesome. It's it's, it's amazing. I mean, it's it's oh. total goosebumps, man. I mean, yeah, at five thirty in the morning well, as well, right? I mean, you, the the there's actual mist in the air oh. at five thirty in the morning in Lambeau. You can Field. hear Vince's voice in the distance. That's it's awesome. Well, it is hallowed ground. I mean, let's be honest here, and certainly it in is. so many places um, in in the sports world. Forget about just football. I mean, Yankee Stadium. That's now across the street. Um, there are a few places where you can walk in and say all of that happened here in this mm-hmm. place where I'm walking around. And Lambeau Field um, is that for the National Football League more than any other stadium, period, and, 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 and will be for, for decades to come. And if you would ask Aaron Rodgers, Charles Woodson, and Mike McCarthy, our three spokespersons for this America's game, if they thought that they would be walking Lambeau Field together as one in 2006? No way. Aaron Rodgers, as you know, dreamt of being a 49er. He adored uh, Montana, then later adored Steve Young. He had a little 49er pennant as a kid. There's a great picture he, in America's oh, game yeah. that you use as well for and that. He says he'd play in the backyard with his dad and, and he would be Montana or he'd be, his brother would go out for a pass and then he would be Ronnie Lott, you know. And then he had really high hopes that, that Mike McCarthy would pick him. Mike McCarthy, there's another guy. He gets fired by the Packers. People forget that. 1999, he and Ray Rhodes, that whole regime, out of here. There's a good shot but, of him on the sideline uh, that you had of that 99 team. I with guess the he, bad stash. Yeah, it was about the bad stash. He had, he had sort of, well, let's call it what it is. It was like a, a bad porn stash that he had yeah, working on there. He car salesman. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess it shows you where we both come from, where yeah. we're both coming to this conversation from. But that's great. again, that's why NFL Films is as great as it is. You, you, have, you have everything at your disposal in your arsenal. But mm-hmm. you're right. I mean, McCarthy gets fired, and he had no idea that he could ever become Packers coach. And Charles Woodson. Where where oh he God. came from and and how he got to Green Bay and why and how, it was sort of a, a, a choice that was made for him because of exactly. how he had run his career essentially into the ground based on what mm-hmm. was going on in Oakland and that's why these shows are great too Dave is that you're telling a story you know what I mean yeah. and the story right, doesn't the begin story. well well you know but a story correct you know and and. It doesn't you 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 don't tell the story from week one. It doesn't begin with week one, two thousand ten in Philadelphia. Yeah. That's not no. The story begins far far in advance, and you are sort of weaving the two, the strings together to create. Uh, it may sound hokey, the tapestry, but yeah. you're telling you're telling stories. And as you mentioned just moments ago. You insisted with Coach McCarthy, or you were persistent to get that shot of the 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 meeting room, the champions meeting room with the photos on the wall and the empty space. Yeah. You were insistent on that, and I want to know how far in advance. How do you lay this out? I mean, how do you lay it out? Do you do you research it and say this is the way we're going to tell the story, and you know that going in, and you fit the pieces to it, or or do you adapt? How, how do you tell the story, Dave? Well, the only thing you know for sure, uh, regardless of what team you're doing, whether it's the Bears, the Ravens, or in this case, the Packers, is 
It's a seven-part show. That's etched in stone. And two, you only have three spokespersons. So you have to say to yourself, what's the best way to get from A to Z using these three people as the breadcrumbs to follow? And so you do hard outlines and change them. And you, you try to take left turns. And, in fact, you said you don't start off with the game against the Eagles. In fact, if you look at the show, and I just did this just for fun the other day, the first snap against Philly, in Philly, to start the year, is over 15 minutes into the show. It's <laughs> awesome. It really is. So when M- Mike McCarthy hoists that trophy at the end of the show, and you go, you know what, that's the guy that had to clean the pee off the, the bathroom in his dad's bar. <laughs> that's the guy who was working the graveyard shift collecting tolls on the Pennsylvania Turnpike. That's the guy fired by the Packers. That's the guy who passed up. Aaron Rodgers, when he was the coordinator in San Francisco. That's the guy who always wears that Sharpie in his hat. That's the guy who put up the blank picture in the meeting room. It means more to you then when Mike hoists the trophy. When Aaron has the belt over his shoulder, the championship belt, it means so much more when you say to yourself, well, geez, Aaron Rodgers grew up in Chico, California, right down the road from San Fran. They passed on him. He says, no way I'm going to go to Butte Community College. And by God, there he is. And then he goes to Cal and has to fight his way onto that team. And then he's sitting there in draft day for hours, left out to dry in the green room as he's passed over. And then he, some wide-eyed, naive kid who goes, well, great, yippee, now I get to learn under the great Brett Favre. Right. And, and, and we know how that, well, maybe we don't know, but it was three difficult years. So when he hoists the trophy, it means more. And finally, with Charles Rogers, They've here's the guy who was, with, with Charles Rootson, thank you, born with club feet. Who, the kid's not going to be able to walk, let alone run. And then he becomes Mr. Ohio football. Well, what do you do if you're Mr. Ohio football? You don't you go, go to, to Michigan. Michigan. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. And he's the first and only guy ever to play predominantly defense, win the Heisman. And then, as you alluded to earlier, eight years in Oakland were, you know, yeah, he was the NFL Defensive Rookie of the Year. I'll give you that. But then he, lo- he gets tucked out of his Super Bowl chance in nice. New England. Nice. Well put. Yeah. And then he has... Uh, a Super Bowl against the Bucks, where they're annihilated, and he has a, a plate in his leg. His leg is still healing. And then suddenly he's a free agent nobody even wants. And the team that does want him, he doesn't want to go there. What does cheese and snow have to do with life in California when he wants to run a vineyard and live the L.A. life? So... They're great stories. They are awesome stories, man. And the way you the way you told the story of Rogers sitting in the dra- draft green room waiting to hear his name called was fantastic too. This the this the the way he reminisced again, staring right into the the screen. I mean, making eye contact with the viewer at home. It's just awesome. And also the echoes of the voice of Paul Tagliabue, just, you know what I mean? Just hearing the names. Pac-Man Jones. Right, just hearing (laughs) the the echoes, sort of haunting. You know, it's a very haunting, uh, not that I would ever call Paul Tagliabue haunting to his face, but, I mean, the way you you laid it out, really nailed it on the head. And then the Favre stuff. Uh, It's interesting because you really didn't get very much into the Favre divorce with the Green Bay Packers at all. It, it was just, and then Favre was gone, as you were telling Rogers' story. That's basically it was that Favre was there. He was picked off in the championship game. That turned out to be his last pass as a Packer. You see that great shot that uh, your compadres at NFL Films got of him, sort of hunched shoulder, head down, Favre, uh, his last moment as a Packer. And then Rogers takes over. How, how much of a struggle was it for you? 
to well, not the put fir- more Favre stuff in there in this show? Well, as if you've been here 34 years, you know that there's no point in creating a show that's 20 minutes over. You know better. <laughs> you know better than that. Sure. But, but, but Rich, it's sad to say I, that's exactly what I did. I mean, the show has to be 44-34. That's a network hour, and that's fair and square. And so you're very meticulous and careful as to what makes it and what doesn't make it. But in this case, it, it just all made it. And next thing you know, I'm 20 minutes over. I'm, I'm a third of a show, half a show over. So the stuff that had to be removed was painful. And it was like uh, it's a Sophie's Choice kind of dilemma. <laughs> but, so you know what I had to say? I had to say, well, what are the two best, most heartfelt sound bites that I got from Aaron Rodgers? Uh, and they were this. The first is when you draft a quarterback first, and you are that quarterback, you're not going to be very happy about it. He saw that as a threat, and it was. And um, he wanted me to know in no uncertain terms that I was going to be the backup for a while. Well, that means something. But most important, and I think it might be the bite of the show, is when he does finally wait his three years, and Favre, after all these uh, canceled press conferences and SUVs leaving Lambeau Field at night and false starts and bad reports, and he's a jet suddenly, um, then everything must be great for Aaron, finally. The, the, the junior college stuff, the no Division I scholarship offers, the passed up on draft day, it all, finally, the, the, the flower will bloom and he's ready to, wrong. He starts to get texts and emails and phone calls from those beloved, lovable Packer fans, you betcha, who are, are pretty mean-spirited. <laughs> and I said to myself, I could see this coming from maybe New York or Philly, where I'm from. There's some pretty tough dudes here, but not from America's Dairyland. And he got some, he says it, he says, uh, they threatened to break my arms. They threatened to break my legs. There were threats on my life. And he goes, I, and to this day, I will never understand it. I waited. He left. I'm the guy. How can I possibly be seen as the bad guy? And he's all, all I'm trying to do is just uh, be a starting be quarterback in the NFL yeah. and, and fill the shoes. I mean, we all sure. know in, in, in any walk of life, forget about the NFL, any walk of life, you don't want to be the guy who's after the guy. You want to be the guy who came after the guy who was the guy. You want that. No you, you need the buffer guy. And yeah. he will, had no buffer guy. He was the guy after the man. And yeah. the way he has turned the page is startling. It is startling. And and um, and how there will be 12 jerseys in Green Bay worn forevermore and with as much love for the name on the back as people wear four jerseys forevermore in Green Bay. And right. that is a true testament to him. And mm-hmm. and I again, you tell that story so well by showing how he grew up. Uh, a Niner fan and 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 made the made the journey, Dave. And and I guess in, in that vein as well, NFL Films has been a very difficult messenger for Niner fans this calendar year. It's going to be very difficult for Niner fans to see Aaron Rodgers with that pennant and the Niners helmet on as a little boy, mm-hmm. and this coming on the heels of the superb Brady Six documentary that Films did for ESPN, where Brady spoke about how he wanted to be a Niner quarterback in yeah. the worst way, and they went with Giovanni Car. Mozzie instead of yes. Brady. It's very, it, this has got to be difficult for the Niner fan to swallow well, right now. Maybe God, God's saying, We gave you Joe Montana for 10 years and whatever. <laughs> and then we gave you Steve Young. So you have to do your penance now. <laughs> but think what, the, think what Aaron Rodgers' career might have been like had the Niners and, and Mike Nolan and that team drafted him. And think 
where would the Packers be now? It, things are meant to be. Who knows? Maybe they'll get uh, Locker next year. <laughs> no, no, you, yeah, you, Andrew, they might fall. To, they, a lot of people thinking they're going for Andrew Luck right now, but yeah, um, you know, yeah, you know. It, again, uh, so so what? It, it, may I ask it, what what Favre stuff did hit the floor that didn't make air? Well, uh, I look at my three sources. Uh, Charles Rogers said. I mean, Charles. I keep saying that. Charles Woodson said a few things that didn't make that did not make the final cut, and one was uh, when we would practice against Aaron Rodgers. And we knew that someday Brett would either retire or move on or something. He says, we knew then that we had our next guy. And sometimes he was asked, who do you think one of the best young quarterbacks in the league is? And he goes, we got him. It's definitely Aaron. He can make all the throws. He's mobile as can be. Great decision maker. Uh, We know we have the next really, really good quarterback. So when he was named starter, that transition from a pure field standpoint was really smooth as silk. Now off the field with all the attention he got from the media. Mike said this. Uh, he said that he came there, you have to remember, Aaron came in 2005, and then Mike came in 2006. So the first year was already happening before uh, Mike McCarthy got there. But he said he knows this for sure. The first year was difficult. The second two years were much, much better. And at the same time, he's dealing with the fact that here comes this free agent, Heisman winner from Oakland, who doesn't even want to be here. And he gets in a huge argument his position coach did actually uh, right away with Aaron with uh, Woodson. Woodson flipped out. He had a big fight. He talks about it in the show. Mm-hmm. One thing about Charles is he should be that Dusecki's guy. He is the most interesting man in the world. <laughs> he really, really is. And you, he only lets you in a little bit, but he is the most confident player. I think there's about sixteen or eighteen hundred players in the league. There is none more confident. None of them. I'm, you can count Brady, Manning, all of them, more confident than this guy. Number two, he can cover anybody with his eyes shut and his legs taped together. And number three, he knows what your offense is going to run before you break the huddle. So if you take infinite knowledge, infinite skills, and infinite self-confidence, that's the perfect player. Yeah, it's the ultimate and weapon. He, it is the ultimate weapon. And for years, he took it all for granted. He didn't work very hard. Teams didn't even test him because he was so feared. So that's a, dread, a dreadful combination. He's so good he doesn't have to work at it. He's so good that people don't test him anyway. And so for eight years, he kind of mailed it in and wasn't a bad player, wasn't a you know, great player. But when he came to Green Bay and he had that chip on his shoulder, he blew up one time in practice because he knew he was running the coverage properly. He knew more than the position coach did, he thought. And he knew that he could handle this particular play in practice, and he snapped. Well, Mike, he says, as Mike said, there's no coaching 101 for this one. And he went over and, and separated them and let him know in no uncertain terms, this is not going to be tolerated, Charles. And the two met in Mike's office, and Mike just said to him, this is the way it's going to be here. You know, you're welcome to be here. We need you to be here. And Charles says, well, just let me work a, worry about football. Don't worry about the little things. Don't worry about my technique. Don't worry about my apparent lack of work ethic. It is there. And he even joked and says, I still fall asleep at meetings today. They're so boring. Mm. <laughs> but he, now he is the consummate leader on the defensive side, without a doubt, as A-Rod is on the offensive side. Yeah, with far, and, with far of a distant memory, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, or, yeah. or is this difficult for those guys to still even talk about right now, even though uh, no, that they've Charles, already won a championship? Charles says if Brett wanted to have been there, he would somehow have been there. But he's not there, and life goes on. The Raiders moved on without Charles. 
The Packers moving on without Brett Favre. And amazingly, last year, that team moved on without Ryan Grant, out of here, Tauscher, out of here, Jermichael Finley, out of here, Barnett, out of here, along with 11 other guys, 15 players on DL, and they're the second youngest team in the league to begin with. How do you do that? Well, Hawk steps up and becomes a three-down linebacker now. Clay Matthews steps up his game even more, and A-Rod becomes almost robotic in his uh, perfection. That Falcon playoff game, you and I saw it, 31 of 36, two drops and three throwaways, flawless. Yeah, and, 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 but all of that, I think, pales in comparison as well, and you hit, you hit this nail directly, squarely on the head, that third and ten uh, in the fourth quarter with the thing perhaps slipping away after leading the whole game. Um, and they run the same play that they'd been hitting the Steelers with all day, which was uh, uh, 27 Tampa, 27 Tampa. And that was uh, Jennings going uh, over the middle and, and just that throw, Whew. a perfect throw over the outstretched yeah. arms of what was it? Clark? Was it Ryan Clark? Ike Taylor. Mike, Ta- uh, right, Ike Taylor. Um, and the, I think and it just, might even you, tipped his pinky. And you guys, uh, as always, NFL Films had the perfect shot of it. It's just, yeah. it's just awesome. And, and and again, you you did such a great job of telling the whole story, Dave. Um, I, I've got to ask you about uh, your your narrator, uh, John Slattery, uh, yeah. the, the awesome Roger Sterling of Mad Men. Are you a Mad Men fan? Is that is that how well, you chose John Slattery? Yeah, my first choice would have been Christina Hendricks <laughs> for many many reasons. <laughs> I don't, yes. I don't believe she was available. No, yes. And I, and I hope I got her name correct. Too. Yeah, you uh, did. You did. You yeah. did. She, has, well, she just used, has different ample talents. Uh, she does. Dave. Yeah. We had, uh, we've already had John Hamm, so yeah. we figured we'd go back to the Mad Men well again. Yeah. And, and John Slattery, he, he's the voice of Lincoln Mercury or whatever, some yes. commercial. And he, he is just, uh, he's great. He is, he's a big Patriot fan, unfortunately, from Boston. Mm-hmm. We still tolerate that. Uh, he knows football. And he was asking the same questions you were about Favre and Aaron, and what a gem to work with. I asked him how he wanted to work, and he says, well, how would you like to work? And I said, uh, well, very rarely and for a lot of money, but however you want to do it. <laughs> and he went, he says, let's just go top to bottom, and if you want to change a line, change a line. And I think the whole session took us an hour, and he is just a phenomenal guy. Pitch perfect. Really. Peace pitch yeah. perfect. He's pitch mm-hmm. perfect uh, He's cool. all, all together. Uh, and before I let you go, how, how much excitement is there in the halls for the uh, uh, Belichick two-part documentary for uh, the big football time. life that's coming up on NFL Network in a couple of weeks? We're fired up uh, oh, it's big on, this, time. on this end of the operation, on this coast. Yeah, we've sat on this massive body of sound and footage for a couple of years now. And, uh, and some of our producers here did some additional work for it and shot actually Belichick walking through the old uh, meeting rooms in uh, the New York Giants where he got his, you know, not his start, but work with Parcells. I think we went out with him on a fishing boat, and he's out there catching fish. And I think it gives you, well, obviously, a look of Belichick that no one's ever seen uh, and also a look at what makes the guy tick. And people wonder sometimes when they see him behind that hoodie, you know, is this guy really Darth Vader? Does this guy really? (laughs) And when you you see that he has a heart, and he, and he knows the history of the game and respects the players, has a mind that's second to none tactically. And uh, anytime you play a Belichick team, you, you know they're not going to ever, ever, ever beat themselves. And you had better be prepared for everything. And I think it's, I, think, I believe they're two hours. I, I think I could, I yes, think I'm correct. Yes, there's yet two hours. Oh, yeah. I mean, off, 
off the cuff, you'd say two hours with Bill Belichick? Two hours. Well, I'll tell you That's what, That's not man. enough. I, of course not. And, and <laughs> But but true to, true to form with the man, uh, Dave, um, I just came back uh, hosting the Patriots kickoff dinner. Whenever uh, Mr. Kraft asks, I will serve, uh, as oh, yeah. most anybody in, in this organization, mm-hmm. right? Uh, yeah. Uh, I hosted the Patriot kickoff dinner. Most of the people in that building didn't even know Belichick was wired for sound yeah, that season. Surprised. I mean, he kept it. Forget about uh, on the down low for most in the media and certainly for us here uh, mm-hmm. within the company, within within his own house. People didn't know they're yeah. ready, they're ready to pull up a chair uh, yeah, in he, a couple of weeks on NFL he's, Network. He's KGB. He's full time KGB boy. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. And, and, and so uh, uh, essentially NFL films had him wired for sound for that big fourth and two decision in Indianapolis. Oh, yeah, that, in, that entire that's part season. Of, that's part of this documentary. Yeah. Um, and, and, you wonder how does he get along with Brady? You know, does he even does he boss Brady around, or does, does Brady have uh, the gravitas to question the great Bill Belichick? You'll learn that. You'll see that dynamic. And uh, we use very limited material with the Patriots when we're, we have access to them because you know they're very careful and as well they should be. But whenever you hear Bill talk, you listen. He's like when Woodson talks in that Packer locker room, you're going to listen. That's Charles Woodson, and you better listen to what he has to say. And when Bill talks, you know, he, he comes from a, a vast knowledge of the game with many, many Super Bowl rings. And you listen to what he has to say. And I, I'm sure every coach in the league is going to watch this. Every coach, I would think, to try to get an edge and think, what, how does he do it? Well, Dave, I, I, I'm, I can't wait. And it's one of those shows that makes you proud to be part of an organization. And, yeah. uh, it's and been I, a great year for us. Hey, man, it, it, year. Please, Mr. Sable. It's been, I mean, Mr. Sable yeah, in the Hall of Fame. I know, and oh, uh, we're and, still riding high. And we got to get Stephen there next, uh, we as, do. ASAP. Uh, and and so when you're done with something like the two, 2010 Packers, do you you send a, a copy up to uh, Steve and then hold your breath, or how, how does that how does that work? Uh, actually, with large shows like this, where, where we set the bar pretty high, uh, we have a committee of about three or four that come into the room. And you have to have some pretty thick skin. Uh, but we're all in it together. And the goal of everyone gathered there, including Steve Sable, uh, is to, first of all, remove, get yourself down the length, first of all, and in a logical way. And, and you know what it is? It's usually microsurgery at that point. It's not massive. I'm sorry, that brain's going to have to come out. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not that. It's I think we should lose this line. I think we can just let the music play here. You may not need this. We can go right to that. Uh, and they're generally senior producers that work on uh, America's games, guys that have some tenure and have worked with a large amount of material. And um, by the time that session's over, it's about an hour long, and they see the whole show part by part. Uh, you have a long legal pad with many little tiny tweaks, and all of those tweaks make the show better. Well, Dave, I said it uh, on the weekend that, uh, as you said, Big Ed went into the Pro Football Hall of Fame, um, and, and I'll say it here, and I, and I don't care who knows it. We're, we're very proud of what we've built here on NFL Network for the last eight years, taking something from the ground up and, and building it. But none of this would have been possible. None of it. I wouldn't be sitting here in front of this microphone. This podcast wouldn't exist. This network wouldn't have existed without NFL Films. And, and, the, hard, and the hard, seriously, and the hard work that folks like yourself put in blood, sweat, and tears for years, decades to build that up and, and help us get off the ground 
and and be uh, woven together with what we well, do. You know? And 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 I I just want to say thank you. I don't I don't care uh, if it sounds hokey or whatever here on my podcast. It's the truth. So thank you, thank you, thank you. You bet. May I say one more thing before so I go? Of course, yeah. Go ahead. It's your, uh, it's, just, your, it's your floor, bro. Go for well, it. Well, I'll leave. Two minutes before I came <laughs> okay. in, came down here to talk with you. Yeah. Uh, Steve, Steve just happened to stop by the office. And uh, I said, I'm about to do a podcast with Rich uh, with the network. And he goes, oh, that's terrific. And I said, I hope he asked me about you and uh, your dad because I know exactly what I want to say. Go for it. And he goes, and he goes what's that? And I said, here's, here's what Mr. Sable and Steve did for us. And I didn't know how they did it. They were like magicians. They fooled us all, all of us employees. They fooled us into forgetting that it was a job. It was hard, long hours. We slept on cots, slept overnight, drove through snowstorms, put in infinite hours, competed against one another. We all have egos. And you forget all about it because of Mr. Sable and Steve. It's never a job. It's, it's always a pleasure. And they made it fun. They always made it fun. They fooled us. They fooled us like a champ. <laughs> well, it's the best magic around then. Best magic right. around. Hey, Dave, thanks again. Thanks for having me. And congratulations on another uh, stu- uh, stupendous uh, America's game. It, Great. It gets, I'm glad you liked it. How, man? Come on. It's as good as ever. It's it, it never slips. It gets better every year. And that's, uh, you know, and, and a testament to it is the, the number of tweets and, and questions I get from people saying, when's the next one coming out? And everybody, yeah. I think, now is ingrained to know that part of the process of being the champion uh, is you're going to get this uh, superb keepsake yeah. that NFL Films puts together for the team, 2010 Packers, and um, it's there forevermore. So, again, congratulations. Yeah. You killed it. You nailed Thanks. it. It's been a great partnership. Thank you very much. Oh, you bet. This is Dave Douglas, the uh, senior producer from NFL Films who produced Packers' 2011 version of America's Game, joining me on the Rich Eisen Podcast. That's it for this bonus edition of the Rich Eisen Podcast. Check out the entire library of the podcast, including the latest version, Tom Brady of the New England Patriots, Dan Patrick of the Dan Patrick Radio Show, and Adam Carolla, a very funny host of uh, the podcast of his own name, The Adam Carolla Show. Um, that's it for this edition, bonus version of the Rich Eisen podcast. Ne- next week, Roastmaster Jeffrey Ross and others. In the meantime, check out the entire library, nfl.com slash Rich Eisen. This is Rich saying peace out. Stay listening, friends.